please, and turn to the book of Isaiah. As you're turning there, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our Father, we come before you this day. We come eager to hear your word, and I thank you that I don't live in the days of Isaiah when you spoke directly to individuals and they were writing down the word. It's so much easier for us to be able to take your word and look back and forth and cross-reference and double-check and research, and we have it a lot easier than they did. But I thank you that you took the time to communicate your message to people so that people just like us could understand your heart and follow your ways. So I pray that you would speak into our hearts this day, not like you did to Isaiah, not giving us new revelation, but speak into our hearts, your Holy Spirit guiding and guarding and, and keeping us on the right path and off the wrong path. And, and I pray that our heart would truly chase after your heart and that you would connect with us and speak to us. And Father, there might be some here today who've never trusted Christ as Savior. I pray they would do that today. I pray they would respond to the Holy Spirit's urging and trust Christ and ask him to forgive their sins. And for all of us, may we be closer to you because we've been here in your house on your day, looking into your word, listening to your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. The, the verse begins, Isaiah 6, 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, Isaiah served in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, this vision in chapter 6 occurred 2,759 years ago. In 740 B.C., King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. So we don't always know when God gave the revelation to people, but we know when he gave this one. And in the Bible, Isaiah is sometimes referred to as Azariah. Uh, I don't know if, if you guys have multiple names. I know a lot of you do. Years ago, Dick Reeves was still here. And when I came here, some people called him Dave Reeves and some people called him Dick Reeves. And I thought it was really weird that Ruby was married to both guys. Uh, uh, but but uh, Uzziah was, was a good king. He was a mighty king. He led them in, in uh, building up the kingdom. And it was, it was a blessing to have a king like that. But then he got arrogant. If God uses you greatly, please don't get arrogant. It's God doing the work. And Uzziah, Uzziah decided he was going to burn the offering. He was going to burn the incense instead of the Hebrew priest. The role that God had assigned to the king was different. And Uzziah rebelled against God, and when rebuked by the priest, he stubbornly refused to obey God, and he became a leper in the last 10 years of his life. He was a leper. But uh, as a result of that rebuke and judgment, then his son Jotham reigned co-regent with him for those 10 years, and then then for a few years on his own, and then King Ahaz reigned in Judah, the southern kingdom when Israel was divided. And Ahaz was not a good king. He was ungodly. And then Hezekiah came, and Hezekiah was a good king. In fact, a lot of people know about Hezekiah. They've read it, they've heard about Hezekiah. And so most people, if you ask them, uh, where is the book of Hezekiah found? They'll usually say in the Old Testament. 
Well, there is no book of Hezekiah. It's just a king. But he was a good king. He had a good reputation. And he led Israel to follow God. And he listened to the prophet Isaiah. And he learned from him. And he talked with him. And when Isaiah had a message from God, King Hezekiah really listened. But King Hezekiah died. And his son Manasseh rose up. Good guy, bad guy. Was he? Which was he? Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. The Bible said Manasseh was so evil, he was more evil than all the evil kings that came before him. And if you read in the history, there were a few in there that were really bad, like Ahaz. Manasseh was worse. And the Bible doesn't record it, but according to Jewish history, Manasseh put Isaiah to death. Instead of listening to the word of God, he killed the messenger. So when King Uzziah died, Uzziah had been a good king. He'd been a king that helped the people follow God. He'd been a king that built up the strength of the nation. And when King Uzziah died, it, it almost sounds like Uzziah, or Isaiah had been relying on Uzziah. He'd been following Uzziah and listening and learning from Uzziah. And when Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord. I, I think that for the most part, our our deepest spiritual growth comes when we go through difficult times, when we go through hard times. Uh, we can grow and, and we can benefit from the good times. How many of you like good times? Yeah, yeah. I don't know anybody who says, man, I wish I had more bad times. But, but honestly, sometimes the bad times cause us to reevaluate our life and, and really focus on spiritual matters. And so I think our greatest spiritual growth and deepest spiritual movements come through difficult times. And maybe it was in the face of brokenness, in the face of the death of, of Uzziah, that Isaiah saw the Lord. Now, almost anybody my age and older can remember what you were doing when President Kennedy was shot, or at least when you heard about when he was shot. We, we all remember that. Um, why? Well, because it was huge and it was dramatic and it changed the face of our nation. And even those who voted against him, even those who campaigned against him, wept when our president was assassinated. It was a heartache to our nation. And in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah's country changed and Isaiah saw the Lord. Verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Did you know that someday you will see the Lord too? And I can say that honestly about everyone here and everyone on planet earth. Someday you'll see the Lord. Isaiah 45, 23, the Lord said to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Romans 14, Paul said, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Someday you will see the Lord in all of his majesty. We will have an Isaiah moment together. Paul wrote to the Philippians that God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah saw the Lord, and we will too someday. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you see the Lord, he's going to be welcoming you home. He's going to be bringing you into the eternal kingdom. If you have asked him to forgive your sins, to be your Savior, then when you see him, you'll receive rewards for your faithfulness in this life. If you have not trusted Christ, you're still going to see the Lord. You're going to see him high and lifted up as Isaiah saw him. Uh, But if you have not asked him to forgive your sins, then you are going to stand before him in judgment for your sins. And as we'll read in a moment, when Isaiah saw the Lord, he immediately was aware of his own sinfulness. And your brain, your mind, your heart will condemn yourself before the Lord because you'll see him in his holiness. And when you see Jesus in all his glory... If you have not trusted Christ, you're condemned and cast into the lake of fire. We need Christ. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he was shockingly aware of his own sinfulness. He desperately needed God's grace, and he received it. And you can too. See, Isaiah saw the Lord. The first thing that we see about the Lord in this passage is that we serve an awesome God. An awesome God. We sang the song, our God is an awesome God. He really is. Sometimes people use the word awesome about everything. What did you have for lunch? Oh man, it was so awesome. No, it was food. It was not awesome. It could be awful, but not awesome. Awesome really means awesome. It's amazing. It's astounding. But it's used so loosely in our culture that it almost doesn't have meaning. But what it means is full of awe. See, when when we see the Lord, and we will someday, we will be speechless. The most talkative person on the planet will be speechless before the Lord. We will see the awesomeness of God. He rules. He reigns. He saw him high and lifted up. How high? Well, some guys suggest he was saw him above the universe. Just the Lord in all his glory. Later on when Isaiah was trying to describe the awesomeness of God, and well, actually when God was describing himself to Isaiah, And he was trying to use terms that could help Isaiah's mind get a picture of God's hugeness. God said, the heavens are his throne, the earth is his footstool. Wow. You know, when I was a kid, we had a friend who was big. Bob was huge. And he wasn't a kid. He was a full-grown man. But when I was a kid... um, And Bob could pick up a watermelon like this, like a football. And he'd say, go out for a pass. And we'd be scared to death he was going to throw that watermelon at us. He seemed so big. I once was in a hotel lobby with the offensive lineman of the Philadelphia Eagles back a long time ago. And uh, I felt so small. 
those guys towered over me. They were bigger than me. They, and they scared me to death because I bumped into Randall Cunningham and suddenly these massive guys surrounded us. I was so glad Randall said, I'm okay, I'm okay. I don't know what those guys would have done. He was the quarterback back then. But listen, compared to Goliath, Goliath, the, the biggest man that we know of who was nine foot six, really big guy, he was not a giant. The only giant is God. God is so awesome. He is everywhere at the same time, knows everything at the same time, understands the end from the beginning. Awesome God. And, and Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train, this is his, his royal robe flowing down, filled the temple. So the image here is that Isaiah has likely gone to the temple to pray. There's nothing sacred about this building. In fact, on Tuesday, you can pray just as well at home as you can pray here. What makes this building sacred is when the people of God assemble here. It's, it's the place where the body of Christ, the church, meets, and that makes it special. But in Israel, the temple had a special place. The temple was, they called it the house of God, and, and they really thought that was the place where they would go and meet God. And some would travel days and journeys to get there to the temple to pray and seek God. And Isaiah saw the Lord, he's possibly praying in the temple, and he saw the Lord, and his train just filled up the temple. It was overflowing. And that was just the train of his robe and the awesome Lord. He, he is on his throne. He rules. He is the sovereign one. Admittedly, sometimes it looks like he's not in charge, right? Sometimes it looks like Satan has the upper hand. Well, listen, I, I like to remind people, in Revelation, when it talks about Satan getting thrown out of heaven, who threw him out? Not God. The other angels. Michael the archangel and the other angels threw Satan out of heaven. God could have just gone blip and he would cease to exist. But he didn't even need to be involved to defeat Satan, the the servants of God, the angels defeated him. And God can empower us to defeat what Satan is doing on planet earth too because greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit in you, than he that is in the world, the spirit of Satan and demons actively involved in the world. We have great capacity because we serve an awesome God. We have... Free will, but we have limited free will, right? Acts 17.26 said, God has pre-appointed the times and places where you live. So you have this time, this place. How long will you live? We don't know. You know, according to what doctors told me 40 years ago, I would have been dead 30 years ago. Uh, but it didn't happen, praise the Lord. I'm still around. And, and they didn't think I'd live to see have kids. And I have grandkids. And it's a blessing. I'm glad I'm still here. Every year I don't get sad that I'm getting older. It's like, ha, in your face, doctor. Oh, anyway. 
I do say that sometimes. I'm sorry. So, uh, but but God, God is awesome, Almighty God, and we need to remind ourselves of that. We don't cry out to God hoping He can do this little thing to maybe make our life a little bit better. We cry out to the God of the universe, the one who is fully sufficient and capable of doing anything he decides he wants to do. That's the God we serve. Secondly, we we serve a holy God. We serve a holy God. Uh, I, I think the way some people act about God today, they forget that God is holy. I had a good friend when I was in the Marine Corps. We were roommates, and, and he knew the Lord, professed to be a believer, and we were talking about the Lord. And, and I was learning. I was growing. I was really studying my Bible and learning some things. And so I asked him about something he was doing in his life that I, I had found Scripture that actually said, you shouldn't do that. And so I was sharing that with him, and I said, you know, the Lord's upset that you're doing that. And he said, oh, no, no, Jesus is my friend. Is Jesus your friend? Hopefully. Hopefully you are a friend to Jesus. If you've trusted him as Savior, he's your friend and brother. He's also your Lord. If your friend was president of the United States and you went to the White House, what would you call your friend? Mr. President or Mrs. President or... Ms. President, if it, you know, whichever, however your friend was, if they were the president, you would address them officially and formally. The Lord is our friend, but he's also a holy God, separate from sinners. Now, look what it, how it describes him here. So, the Lord was high and lifted up on a throne, The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. These are angelic beings. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face like this. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he could fly. Why were they built like this? You know, I've read sermons about why they had six wings and what it means to you. The Bible never tells us why. It just tells us they do. But the covering their face and covering their feet is a sign of absolute reverence before who? The holy God. Look what it says. Uh, And one cried to another, verse 3, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. Holy. Now that might be a reference to the Trinity, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But it might also be the fact that, listen, when we say God is love, John writes God is love. He doesn't say God is love, 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 does he? He says God is love. But when expressing God's holiness, he is holy, holy, holy. It's like you can't get enough holiness on earth to express the holiness of God. And this awesome, holy God stepped into humanity to save your soul because he loved you so much. So if you're going through hard times or the world's going through a crisis, don't say, where is the love of God? 
the holy God stepped into humanity. Tell you what, that was enough. Him stepping into humanity was such a, a step down, a condescension. And then he died for us on the cross. He is the Holy One. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He is holy and He calls us to a certain measure of holiness. He has set apart absolute moral purity and sacredness and He calls us to be holy. He said to Abraham, Be holy as I am holy. He wants us to set ourselves apart to Him. And so the the flaming seraphim with their wings and they cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He is the Almighty Lord of the hosts of heaven. Now, sometimes uh, there's some Christian writers and, and honestly... Some of them, their fiction writings entertaining, but one of them wrote about how uh, the angels of God can't do anything until the believers get a big enough prayer shield. And once we get our prayer shield up, then the angels of God can really work. It was an entertaining book. It was not biblically accurate. One night... God sent one angel down to fight one battle and 180,000 enemy troops were slain in one night. Do you think God could take an angel to take care of all your problems? Do you? Yes, he could. The fact that he doesn't means we need to understand the heart of God more than just praying for deliverance. God's doing a work in us through these difficulties He's not always delivering us from every difficulty. Have you ever heard a sound that was so loud it made the building shake, the windows rattle? If you've ever been anywhere near where something exploded, like I've I've been near where a car blew up, and it really rattled the windows, and everybody went outside to find out what happened. Uh, Back in the old days when sonic booms were new, they used to scare us. Some of you remember those days. The kids are saying, sonic boom, what is that? Well, (laughs) a plane was moving so fast, it went faster than the speed of sound. And so somehow the sound of the plane and the sound chasing it would catch up and you'd get a booming thundercloud that would shake things like crazy. This, This seraphim cries out to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. This is our awesome God. This is our holy God. And we get to serve him. He is holy And yet he is also very thankfully loving. And because of that, we serve a forgiving God. We serve a forgiving God. See, when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, what did he say in verse 5? So I said, woe is me. 
And this is not like, whoa, check it out. This is, whoa, filled with grief. Whoa is me, for I am undone. I tell you, you know, back Back in the 70s, there were all these preachers telling about conversations they had with God, you know. One of them was a preacher and a singer, and he said, God showed up in his bedroom. He said, Jimmy, I want you to cut me a record. And so Jimmy cut that record, and you could buy it to get closer to God by listening to Jimmy sing. How many of you remember that? (laughs) A few do. I could tell you the rest of his name, but that's enough. If you ever see the Lord, when, because it's going to happen, when you see the Lord, what do you think is going to happen? We have a little picture of that in the book of Revelation. It right, the Lord's writing about uh, John seeing the Lord, and John shows up in heaven, and he sees the Lord, and, and John says, um, he saw the Lord in his awesomeness and greatness, And John fell down like a dead man. Now, humanly speaking, John was Jesus' best friend. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John is called John the Beloved. He was the one sitting right next to Jesus at the the dinner. And John and Jesus were really close. And John, who saw Jesus in some of the normal times of life, He saw Jesus eat food. He saw Jesus be hungry. He saw Jesus fall asleep. He saw Jesus when he first woke up. And when he saw Jesus in his glory, he fell at his feet as a dead man. He didn't say, Jesus, buddy, high five. It's been a while. No. When you see the awesomeness of the Lord... You're going to see your own sinfulness. And that's exactly what Isaiah did. Isaiah's natural response. Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I, have a man, I am a man of unclean lips. He wasn't just talking about his lips, but his, his whole body. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. I, you know, I have a lot of people I've heard over the years tell me, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about that. I don't understand what God was doing. When I get there, I'm going to ask Him. When you see Him, you are going to be so overwhelmed by His awesomeness. You will just be filled with gratitude for His grace that you get in if you're saved. Now, when you, when you are in bright light, right? In bright light, every little spot shows up. Have you ever got dressed in the dark and then been out later and looked down and, oh, I didn't know I had that stain there. Yeah. Yeah. When you're in the bright light, little things show up. The brighter the light, the more flaws show up. And in the light of God's holiness, He is so light in Him, there's no darkness at all. Our flaws show up. I think the closer you get to God, the more you see you have things to work on. Now, I read a comic years ago, and it was people sitting around in this group, 
And you don't know what, it's a Bible study group. They're sitting in a circle of chairs and, and you don't hear anything what they've been discussing or anything, but you just hear what this one little lady says. This little old lady looks down at her Bible and she says, well, I could have cast the first stone. Now, some of you will recognize that scene where the woman caught in adultery and, and Jesus said, let he who was without, excuse me, let, let the one without sin throw the first stone. Nobody threw a stone. When you are in the presence of holiness, you're aware of your own sinfulness. But the one who is holy, the one who is the Lord high and lifted up, the one whose train fills the temple is the very one who died for you on the cross. He's the very one who said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's the very one who said, Believe in me and you will have everlasting life. So we don't need to fear the Lord. Like when I was a kid, my mom would say fairly frequently, wait till your dad gets home. Oh, man. You know, I, d the car would pull up and it wasn't dad's home. It was dad's home. <laughs> and when we see the Lord, we don't have to be like that. The one who loves us, the one who forgave us, he's the one who's going to welcome us home. We'll be overwhelmed by our inadequacy but also by his grace. And so in this picture, and let me, don't do this at home. There are things in the Bible that are descriptive, telling you what happened. There are things that are prescriptive, telling you what you should do. This is a descriptive. This is just telling you what happened. So he said, woe is me. And in verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to him, having a in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Okay, your sin does not get purged by touching hot coals to your lips. Your lips get burned, but your sin gets purged by believing and trusting in Jesus. God used this as an image, as a way for Isaiah to catch on, to comprehend, to understand. But it's never repeated in Scripture. Throughout the entire New Testament, most of the Old Testament, when you want to get right with God, you believe the message of God, you trust the Redeemer, the Messiah who would come in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the Christ who came in the New Testament looking back. You believe and trust in Jesus. That's how your sins are forgiven. But they use this symbol to show that God can forgive sin. Isaiah said, My, I'm a man of unclean lips. So they touched his lips. Whatever part of you that's unclean, God can heal it completely if you will trust Jesus Christ. We serve a forgiving God. He's not tolerant of your sin, but he will forgive your sin. He gets angry with sinners every day, the scripture says. But he also invites them to his throne of grace where they can find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Now, we also see here in, in verse number 8 that we serve a triune God. Triune? What does that mean? Well, look. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? We serve a triune God, a three-part God. You say, well, isn't that three gods? 
No. It's one God in three persons. I know it's a little mysterious, but it's revealed in Scripture this way. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That word God is a singular plural. It's one God, plural of persons. When God said, let us make man in our image, uh, we, we see God working in humanity. And so in Isaiah, God said, who will go for us? This is a triune God. Holy, 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 yes. But he's also a trinity. Maybe that's why he said, holy, holy, holy. We don't know. But in our articles of faith, we say, we believe there is one God and only one living and true God who has revealed himself in the scriptures as the trinity of the Godhead who exists eternally in three co-equal persons as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity share the exact same nature while having different but harmonious roles in relation to the redemption of man and also to creation. So, 1 John 5, 7, There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Matthew three sixteen, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, God the Son, all together, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the church has given a command. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it doesn't say baptizing them in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we practice baptism by immersion. That's what they did in the Bible. And we put, a person goes under the water, and we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they come up out of the water. We don't baptize them in the name of the Father, and then in the name of the Son, and then in the name of the Holy Spirit. Some churches do. We don't because that's not exactly what the Bible says. We really try and follow the Bible. Not, not neurotically, just logically, rationally, understanding, seeking to understand the Bible. So Jesus told them. He didn't say, just baptize him in my name and you're good to go. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, the Trinity of the Godhead. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God. So on earth, Jesus was submissive to the Father because on earth, he had a role under the Father. He's equal with the Father. You know, Paul wrote, that in, wrote about that in his letter to the church in Philippi, that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he submitted himself and took on the form of a servant and became humble even to the death of the cross. Father, Son, Spirit, all working to bring about creation, all working to bring about our redemption. Now, uh, Colossians 1.10 says, 
the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus. 1, 9 and verse 10 says, you are complete in him. We trust Jesus. We follow Jesus. We listen to the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Spirit. But God is a triune God. Number five, this is really cool. We serve a God who evaluates our ministry based on our faithfulness, not on our perceived effectiveness. So, if somebody gets called to ministry, they think, well, I may feel called to preach. I'm going to study and I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow and I, I'm going to preach the gospel. And, and so here's God's calling to Isaiah to be a preacher, a prophet, one who would communicate God's message. And look what the Lord says. Uh, now, back in verse 8, the Lord said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? By the way, the way this is written is if God's been saying that all along. But Isaiah didn't hear it till after Uzziah died and he saw the Lord. God was wanting to send somebody and now Isaiah hears it. And so Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And uh, then the Lord said, go and tell this people. And then he says, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy. He's not trying to hide a message. He's just trying to tell Isaiah, it may not be glorious. When you share, it, it may not be wonderful, but you have an obligation to communicate this message. And so he said, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and, and return to be healed. And Isaiah said, Lord, how long do I have to do that ministry? If you've ever studied the, the history of Israel, you know, last week we had a message from Jeremiah and Jeremiah preached about 100 years after Isaiah. So in the days of Isaiah, you had Assyria coming down, conquering the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, you had some stress in Judah, the southern kingdom. Babylon and Assyria and Egypt were all threatening. And there was all this tent. And, and man, Isaiah wanted to see the glory days of Israel restored. And so he said, Lord, I'm willing to be your spokesperson. And the Lord said, go and share my message. And then the Lord said, they're not going to listen. And you're going to preach and preach and preach and it will make no difference. And according to history, the last king to hear Isaiah preach killed him. And Isaiah said, how long? You know, can, will they reject me for five years and then it'll get good? No. The answer in the middle of verse 11, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant, the houses are without a man, the land is utter, utterly desolate, the Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it. And I will return and be for a consuming as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. See, we sow and we water and God gives the increase. Paul told the church in Corinth that God would judge them for the nature of their works, not the number of them. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, don't you wish school worked that way? 
don't you wish your grade was based on how hard you worked in school? There are some kids, they're just academically minded. And for them to get straight A's, is, it's labor, it's work, but it's possible. And for others, it's impossible. And they can labor and they can work and they can study and they get a C. But in school, we grade on an arbitrary standard that's been set up. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a little of both. But God grades on a, a standard of your effort. So, years ago, I <laughs> Hunter was in track with us, and there was a verse that I struggled. Man, it, it was hard for me to learn that verse. And, and I was talking with Hunter about how hard that verse was. And Hunter said, well, he really didn't have any trouble learning it at all. It was, it was pretty easy for him. Memorizing is easier for him than it is for me. And then later, I was telling the kids in track, I said, yeah, I talked to Hunter about that. I said, I had to really struggle with that verse. And Hunter said, it was easy for me. I'm not dumb. Which <laughs> Hunter didn't really say that. Savannah was also in Trek at that time, and Savannah just laughed. She knew Hunter wouldn't say that to me, might say it to her, but not to me. And, and yet, the other kids in Trek all went, oh, Hunter! You know? But see, the truth is, I get more credit for memorizing Bible verse than Hunter does. Because it's easier for Hunter. So you get credit. Your reward is based on your labor not on the effectiveness, not on the fruit of your labor. There have been missionaries who have gone and served faithfully for years, and, and one of them served for six years before he had his first convert. And God's not going to reward him based on how many people came to Jesus through your ministry. Uh, his reward is for his faithfulness. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. The reward is based on the labor, not on the results. So pray diligently, work hard, and then trust Him. Let me give you three more things real quickly. Number six, He is enough. He is enough. Your identity must be in Christ. If your identity is being married, how many marriages end? 100%. Some of them end in divorce. Some of them end in the death of one spouse. Some of them end when both die together. 100% end. So if your identity is in marriage, if your identity is your job, if your identity is your ministry, you know, I've been here for more than 20 years. In the 25 years before I got to this church, there were seven different pastors who served different lengths of time. And so... At some point, I won't be the pastor of this church. If the Lord tarries, I'm hoping he calls us all up together this afternoon would be fine, right? Uh, I'm I'm hoping we all go up together. But if the Lord tarries, if he waits, if there's a time, there's going to be a time when I'm no longer the pastor of this church. Pastors and Sunday school teachers, we need to understand we have a temp job. 
We are committed to ministry, but it's, it's a temporary job. God is the only one who knows the fullness of things. And so if my identity is being a pastor, then I know a lot of pastors who are retired. They got to the point in their life where they couldn't continue and they retired. Then what? Your identity needs to be in Christ. You are a child of God, and that's true whether you're married or single or pastor or teacher, whatever. You are a child of God, and your identity is in Him. And He is enough. Isaiah saw the Lord. That was enough. He didn't beg for King Uzziah back. He saw the Lord. There was a fullness there. And uh, (laughs) my identity used to be in being a runner. Good thing that's not my identity now, huh? <laughs> In fact, right now, I have trouble uh, doing any running at all. The, the only running I do is a runny nose, right? Uh, <laughs> number seven, his approval is enough. Now, I've shared this before, and it, it, it's true. It, does, it feels like it would be hard, but imagine... If seven and a half billion people on the planet were all mad at you on the same day, but God looked down from heaven and smiled upon you, that's a good day. It wouldn't feel like a good day. That's a good day. You're going to have people you loved and trusted hurt you. If it hasn't happened yet, it probably will. Your your completeness is in Christ and His approval is enough. You're going to make a decision that nobody understands, but His approval is enough. If you're genuinely, honestly seeking Him. So if you want to hear the words of Christ, well done, then live for Him now. His approval is enough. Our church works really hard to try and follow the Bible and try and please the Lord. Would we like to see more people come to Christ, more people join with us? Absolutely. We would love to see that. There are people in this town who need Christ. We'd love to see them saved. But at the end of the day, we don't rate our ministry based on how effective we are, how many numbers we have. Are we genuinely following the Word of God and the heart of God. That's the way we evaluate our lives. And then last, number eight, some will believe, some will be saved, but all must hear. Isaiah, my challenge to you, go and share with the people, and many of them will ignore you, and many of them will hate you, but there'll be a remnant. And in that remnant will be those who hear my message, believe, and follow Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Isaiah, keep at it. Some will hear. Some will respond. And all of them need to have an opportunity to hear the message of God. I had a friend here in town several years ago. We played volleyball together a lot. We talked a lot. And he was a confirmed atheist. He was a confirmed agnostic leaning toward atheism. And of course, I'm a confirmed believer in Jesus Christ. And, And we got to the point where we said, 
we're just going to let that go. And we stayed friends, and we stayed playing volleyball together, but we never talked about the Lord anymore. But I did promise him I would pray for him, and I still do. Haven't seen him now for a while. The, the games that we were doing stopped, and even if they still had it, I couldn't do it now. But you're not going to reach everybody. And the heartache is when the people you don't reach are the people you love. But God is enough. Trust him, follow him, serve him, do what you can, and then leave it with him. We sow, we water. Who brings forth the increase? God does. Give it your best shot. Work hard, pray hard. Trust We're going to sing a song of invitation. It's a beautiful song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. If you don't know the song, just listen as the words are sung. The words will be on the screen. You can follow along. Uh, it's a beautiful song about his amazing love for us. Isaiah saw the Lord. His first response is, I am such a sinful man. But the Lord called him and commissioned him, forgave him. And gave him an opportunity to serve him. Because we serve a God who loves and cares for us. You can remain seated as we sing this. How deep the Father's love for us.